Lifestyle, the way in which we live our lives. It's something formed throughout a series of decisions, whether intentional or accidental. But if our lives are to reflect the lifestyle of Jesus, it should be built with care. And as we allow God himself to form what he will in us and through us and around us, our lives are soon collected in a beautiful compilation for God's glory and for our good. Hey, welcome to Wooddale this week. I am so glad you're here. Just want to welcome all of our campuses, those of you who are joining online. Welcome to the Wooddale family. And I just want to take a moment and introduce myself. My name is Trent. I lead our Loring Park campus in downtown Minneapolis and want to introduce you to my family. This is my beautiful wife, Lindsay. We actually met here at uh, Wooddale. We've been married for seven years. And this is our newborn son, Finn. Finn is just seven weeks old right now. So we're in that new parent phase where Every day is kind of just a blur right now, but also every day is just packed with these fun and exciting memories that we get to make as a family. You know, as we look back on the past couple months, one of the biggest memories for us was just how many people reached out to us during the pregnancy and during the delivery and when we just welcomed Finn into the world. I mean, it was friends we hadn't talked to in years, it was colleagues, it was coworkers, it was family. I mean, it was an exciting time. It was overwhelming at some points, but man, what a blessing in our life to have so many people connect with us. You know, I wanna ask you a question this morning. Play along wherever you're watching from at all of our campuses. If you had to count up how many connections you've made over just the past seven days, how many do you think it would be? I mean, is it like 100? Think of all your text messages, your phone calls, your social media connections, the letters you've written. Maybe it's 100, maybe it's 500. If you're a teenager, maybe it's like in the thousands, right, over the past week because the next generation is super connected. See, the thing is, we don't need a major life event to be very connected these days. We live in a day and an age where we're more connected than ever before. But there's an interesting trend that I've been doing some research on about the state of our friendships. There's a survey that happened on the American, uh, the American uh, Survey Center for American Life that said this recently. It said, coming out of a once-in-a-generation global pandemic, signs suggest that the role of friends in American social life is experiencing a pronounced decline. Americans report having fewer close friendships than they once did, talking to their friends less often, and relying less on their friends for personal support than they did 30 years ago. What do you think about that? I mean, as a pastor, I really think that's true. I've had so many conversations over the past year and especially the past weeks with people who say, I'm just struggling with loneliness, I'm struggling with isolation, and I'm really struggling to make sense of my friendships. I mean, hey, this weekend, what do we do with the fact that we live in a world that is more connected than ever before, and yet we're more disconnected from friendships than ever? You know, I think Jesus actually gives us a lot of help when it comes to friendships. We're in this series right now over the next couple months where we're talking about how to live a lifestyle like Jesus and experience everything that God wants for us. And friendship was one of the huge things for Jesus. Yeah, it was something he taught, but it was also something he modeled with his life. And Jesus taught a lot about how to be better friends and to have better friendships. 
I mean, wherever you're at this weekend, how many of you would like to be a better friend and to have better friendships in your life? That's true for me. I think that's like true for all of us. And I just want to be helpful and share with you some of the words of Jesus and how he teaches us to have a lifestyle of friendship. So to do that, would you open up or would you turn open uh, your Bibles to John chapter 15? That's where we're going to be today. You know, for context, that's the night before Jesus went to the cross. And so he's sitting down with his disciples, his friends, and he teaches them about friendship. Now, let me ask you a question, because I think we got to start back at the beginning. I mean, with such a decline in friendships and such a struggle in our own lives, do we really need friends? I mean, is a decline in friendship a problem for us, or should we just kind of do away with friends altogether? You know, here's what Jesus begins to teach his disciples on that night about friendship. He says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is really important right here. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. See, let me paraphrase what Jesus is teaching us here. He's saying that our friendships go deeper than just someone to talk to or someone to be connected with. It has everything to do with the relationship of the Father to the Son and God's relationship to us. I mean, here's kind of what Jesus is saying. He's saying we are made for friendship because we are made to be like God. Friendship is actually woven into who we are as people. Now, let me show you what I mean by this. In Genesis chapter 1, if we go all the way back to the beginning and learn how people were created, this is what we learn from the Bible. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, when God made people like me and like you, God made us in his likeness and in his image. And part of being made in the image of God means that we were created to be relational. See, because that's who God is. God is one God who has eternally existed in three persons. Sometimes I explain it, he's one what with three who's. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That since eternity past and all the way into eternity future, God has existed in a loving friendship relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You know, friendship wasn't something that God created and he gave to humans just to choose it if we wanted it. God actually said this is part of who he is and he's creating us as an image so that we can bear his relational image to others. This isn't just something we get to choose. This is something that is woven into the very fabric of who we are as people. I mean, the inverse is true as well. When we don't have friends, we have this innate sense that something's missing. In fact, someone is missing. That's what happened to Adam. Adam was created by God, and he was with God, and he was working in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning. But God called this divine timeout. He said, timeout, there's something here that's not good, and he wants to teach us about it. Do you remember what it was? You know, when I thought first, I said, well, maybe it's sin. It's that serpent. It's the temptation it's the tree that people chose to eat from. And that actually happens a little bit later in the story. You know what the first thing that God ever said wasn't good? 
It was this. God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. So I will make a helper suitable for him. Isn't it interesting that the first time that people ever experienced loneliness was that moment? That's when Adam realized that someone was missing. And it wasn't because he fell. It wasn't because of sin. It was actually because he was created in perfection. He was created to be just like God, and he didn't have a human to be in a relationship with. And so the cool thing is that God actually solved the problem. And if you're dealing with loneliness right now, or if you've experienced that in the past, God has help for you and for me. And here's what he provided. This is interesting. We can get that verse back up here. It says he provided a helper. Here we go. A helper suitable for him. You may be wondering, why doesn't it say he created Eve? He says he created a helper suitable for him. Well, if you look at the Hebrew in the words, it's these two words, ezer konegdo. It means someone equal in strength and equal in power. So that's who God provided for Adam. Now, if you and I were to go transport back in time and ask an ancient Hebrew, hey, explain to us what's up with Ezra Konegdo. What does it mean that God provided someone who's a helpmeet, who's someone equal in power? They actually wouldn't tell you much. They would show you. Because in their culture, there was like this whole motion that they showed and communicated what Ezra Konegdo was all about. And I need a friend to demonstrate this. So I need my friend Jeff to come out here and give it up for Jeff at all of our locations. Welcome, Jeff. Jeff's actually one of my friends, but I need him to demonstrate what Ezra Konegdo is. So in some parts of Jewish culture today, and especially back in those days, they would say, this is Ezra Konegdo. It's two people that would face each other, and then they would lift up their hands and join hands with each other, and they would lean in, right? So look at this. This is how God said, this is how I made you to live. If I push too hard, I'm not equal, Jeff falls over. If I don't do my part or Jeff pushes too hard, I fall over. God said he created us to live like this. This is Ezra Konegdo. Thanks, Jeff. Give it up for Jeff at all of our locations. That's how God designed us to live. Now, you may be saying, hey, I thought those verses were just for, for marriage. Maybe they were read at your wedding or you were just at a wedding this, this summer and you're like, that's, that's the verse they use. And of course, Ezra Konegdo applies to the covenant marriage relationship as God designed it. But this is no less about the way you and I were created to live as people. This is a human thing because we're made to be like God, because we're made to be in his image. So whether you're called into singleness or you're called into marriage, we're all called into friendship because that's how God made us. Now, it also raises a question. You say, okay, so if we do actually need friends in our life and it goes deeper than just needing to be connected, what kind of friends do I need? Because that's like my main problem, Pastor, is like, I don't know how to find the right friends. You know, my parents, when I was a kid, they would always call out when I had made a good friend, and they'd always call out when I made a bad friend. You know, if I was hanging out with somebody who was a really good friend, they'd come and they'd put their arm around me and say, Trent, you are making such good friends. This is really important in your life. And when I was hanging out with some people that I shouldn't have been, they made sure to let me know, hey, I don't think that's the kind of friend you should be hanging, hanging out with. Why do they do that? And why do parents today do that? was because they know the impact that friends make on our lives. You know, I did a little bit of research. There's a study that was done by the Harvard School of, of Public Health. They did a study to find the impact of your friends on your physical health. And they found that the chances of you being overweight increased by 37% if your spouse is overweight, okay? They increased by 40% if a sibling is overweight. 
But get this, they increase by 57%, almost 60% if a friend is overweight. Look, the friends you have in your life impact your life sometimes more than your spouse and your family. But it's not just the negative impacts, it's also the positive benefits of having friends. I mean, so many studies have shown that people live longer, they have happier lives, they're more satisfied when they have good friends. Friends help you keep your promises. Friends help you keep from going off on a bad path. Friends are there for you and they're an important part of life. So here's the thing. Friends, they satisfy the way that we were made, but they also show you the direction that your life is headed. In other words, who you befriend shapes who you become. Proverbs 13, 20 says this. This is all over the Bible. Whoever walks with the wise become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Who you befriend shapes who you become. 1 Corinthians 15, 13. This one was known around my house. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Who you befriend shapes who you become. So here's the question. How do you know who to befriend? Because it's really going to matter for your life's trajectory and who you become. And this is where Jesus continues to teach his disciples about the kind of friends that they need to pick in their life. Here's where Jesus picks up. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. But instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. See, here's what Jesus is saying. Let me, let me paraphrase a little bit. If you and I want to know the kind of friends that we need to pick in our lives, the first thing you got to know is the kind of friend that Jesus has been to you. Because Jesus modeled perfect friendship. I was looking at those verses and I really think it boils down to three big things that Jesus is showing, the kind of friend that he's been to us. And the first thing, if we're looking for true friends, true friends are real. I don't mean like real versus imaginary. I mean like real, like vulnerable. True friends let you in to their heart and they let you into their life. They're not surface level. Jesus says that it's a difference between like a servant and a friend. A servant may know your agenda. They may know kind of what you're doing throughout the day. They may know your business. But a friend, the friend knows the purpose behind those. They know your heart. They know what makes your heart beat. They're an actual real friend. You know, in, in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, one of the words for friend that is used is sowed. And sowed means secret. Friends are the ones that let you into the secret places of their life, and they share secrets with you, there's an intimacy that's required for true, perfect friendship. And when I look at Jesus, man, he was the perfect friend. And he was the perfect, real friend. He was always letting his disciples into his life. He walked with them. He talked with them. He ate meals with them. He traveled with them. They saw him cry at the tomb of Lazarus. They saw him weep when his cousin was killed. I mean, when we went to the temple and Jesus saw what had degraded from all the religious leaders and they were oppressing people with religion, Remember, he flipped over the tables of the money changers. He got angry. His disciples saw his inner heart. But perhaps the most uh, intimate one that I could think of is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember those words that Jesus prayed? They're some of the most vulnerable words he spoke. And he did it with an earshot of his friends. Father, take this cup of suffering away from me. 
But nevertheless, it's not my will, but I want to do your will, Father. We're not told in the scriptures why Jesus chose to bring his friends within earshot and why he didn't pray it privately. But you want to know what I think? I think it's because he was being real. He's being vulnerable with his friends. You know, real friends are vulnerable. They're real. But they're also reliable. I mean, true friends never let you down. They were always there for you. And when I look at Jesus, he was always there for his disciples. Now, he may not have been predictable. I will give you that. But he was always there for his friends. Multiple storms on the lake as the fishermen thought they were going to drown. And Jesus never let the boat go down. Even if it took miracles, he always came through for them. He never bailed on them. You think about the crowds that gathered and were around Jesus. He fed the multitudes on multiple occasions. He never let them go home or let them starve to death. Jesus, if you look at all of his miracles, go and read through the New Testament. Not once did he ever unfulfill it. Not once do we get like somebody who comes back to Jesus and says, hey, the thing you told me to do, I did, and you just didn't come through to me. That's not how it works. Every single time, Jesus came through for his friends. He was reliable. But just because a friend is real and just because a friend is reliable does not make them the perfect friend. There's a word that Jesus uses over and over in these verses that is also part of friendship, and that's love. True friends are real, reliable, and loving. You say, well, why has love got to be part of it? Because love tests the distance that a friendship will go. I mean, you could have a friend who is perfectly real and perfectly reliable, and they may be a great therapist. They may be the most amazing business partner that you have ever had. They may be the perfect kind of roommate for you. But if there's no love, it's not going to go the distance when things get really tough. There's going to be those questions that just start to come up of, what do you need me to do? And what time do you need me to be there? And how much is that going to cost? And there's a limit to the friendship. But Jesus says true friends are loving, even to the point where you give your life for them. Everything you had, simply for no other reason other than you actually love them. Jesus was real. Jesus was reliable. And Jesus was loving. Now, when I look at the teaching of Jesus, I started to think about my, my own life, as you probably are for yours as well. And I thought about my friends. And I counted up like my, my three closest friends. And I started to think about how real, how reliable, and how loving they truly are. In fact, wherever you're watching from right now, I want you to take 10 seconds and I want you to think of your three closest friends. Come on, play along. If you're watching Eden Prayer in the Great Room, if you're at Loring Park, if you're at Edina, you're watching online, who are your three closest friends? And I want you to bring them to mind. You got their names? You got their faces? They're the people that are shaping you, that are transforming you. They're great friends. Let me ask you one question about your three closest friends that I ask myself. How real, reliable, and loving are you to them? See, you thought I was going to ask you to pick on your friends. You thought we were going to go through and say, okay, this person's out and this person's out, and they're unreliable and they're unloving and they did this to me. But here's the thing. That's so easy to blame our friends, and we get caught in this cycle of destruction with our friendships. I've, I've been in it myself before, where when someone doesn't come through for them, then we just kind of unfriend them. And maybe it's nothing official, but like we just don't talk to them anymore, and we, we just go searching for more friends who can fulfill what a perfect friend is for us. But here's what I was thinking about. There is one thing in every failed friendship and every flawed friendship I've ever had in my life. They all have one thing in common. 
You want to know what it is? It's me. Guys, I'm not even the kind of friend that I want to be, and I know I need to be for my friends. How in the world could I expect my friends to be that way for me? I mean, here's the the thing. It's true. Our friendship, it falls short. Let me prove it to you. I'll I'll share some of my my own stories of of pain and where I've fallen short as a friend. You know, I have a good buddy from college. His name is uh, Brandon, and he, he texted me the other summer. He was going on a trip of a lifetime over to Iceland. And he lives in uh, Iowa, and, and, and we live in uh, downtown Minneapolis. And so he was like, I got to fly out of Minneapolis to get to Iceland to go on this trip of a lifetime. And would you just like let me park my car at your, at your house because I got to catch a flight? And then all you got to do is leave your keys for me on the way back. And I would just, that would be amazing. I was like, this is great. We can hang out when you're up here. Uh, me and my wife happen to be on vacation at the same time. So you can have my parking spot. No, no problem at all. A few weeks later, I was on vacation. I was actually sitting in the middle of a lake and I got a text message from Brandon and it said, hey man, where's my car keys? And it hit me. They were inside my house and I had all of the car keys with me and there was no way for him to get in and get his car. And I felt like such a failure of a friend. I mean, it's like one of those things where you have one job. You had one job, Trent. Just leave his keys outside so we can get in his car and go home. And it was this whole ordeal. And long story short, man, I was not reliable. You know, the same thing's true with me when it comes to being real. I'll just be, I'll be transparent with you. Sometimes it's really hard for me to be real. It's hard for me to be vulnerable with people. There have been a lot of examples from my life when I've kept secrets to myself and I haven't let my friends bear the burden with me. I've been a bad listener and I've been selfish and kept things all to myself. You wanna hear a really bad one? November 25th, you ever have one of those mornings where you wake up and you're like, I know I'm forgetting to do something. I just don't know what it is. November 24th, the day before, is my mom's birthday. As long as I have known her, her birthday has not changed and I forgot it. (laughs) I forgot to even call my own mom. And so I went and I, I called her, I texted her, I apologized profusely, wished her a happy birthday. And man, it was one of those moments where I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to live this down. And so I texted my dad. I was like, man, that was really bad. Can you believe I forgot mom's birthday? Thinking that he would just be like, oh, haha, it's not a big deal. He said, yeah, that was really bad. I have fallen short as a friend. How about you? Now, here's the thing. All of those friendships I've been able to keep intact. You know, I apologize, I get forgiveness. You know, I'm, I'm still the son to my mother. But what do you do when you fall short to God? See, because remember, Jesus is giving us these words about friendship. And Jesus is saying he's been the perfect friend to us. What happens when I'm not a very good friend to him? I mean, does God pick bad friends? I mean, you may be at one of our, our churches right now, maybe watching online and you're like, that's what I'm trying to figure out. That's why I'm exploring Christianity because I don't know. I know my friendship has fallen short, but does God pick bad friends? You know, that night when Jesus had taught these things to his disciples, he said some pretty concerning things to them afterwards. They left the upper room. They went over to the Mount of Olives. You know what Jesus told his disciples? He said, all you guys who just heard all my teaching about friendship, you are all going to fail me as my friends. You're going to bail on me. You're going to deny me. And it's going to happen like tonight. And Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, spoke up and he said, Jesus, even if all these other guys do that, 
that will never be the case for me. I won't deny you. I won't let you down. And Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times, even before the sun rises. Even before the rooster crows, you will deny even having known me. Remember what Peter said? He said, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. In other words, we've heard your words about friendship. That won't happen to us. I will die for you. And sure enough, three people asked Peter, hey, do you know Jesus? Weren't you from Galilee? Didn't you walk with him? Weren't you one of his disciples? And Peter said, nope, don't know him. Not even my friend. Never met the guy. And Peter wept as the rooster crowed in the morning. And I imagine he felt pretty bad because I know what it feels like to fall short as a friend. But don't miss this. If that's you and you're wondering, like, does God pick bad friends? Look up here. Because God has uh, not finished his teaching to you. See, that night, Jesus told them something that I think the disciples probably forgot, but he said, you're going to need to know this. So there's something about the friendship of God that you need to know. Jesus finished teaching them when he said this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So this is my command. Love each other. See, friendship with God is not based on the degree of our commitment. It's based 100% on his choice. It's not about how good or bad a friend we could be or how dependable or how untrustworthy we can be to God. It's not about our commitment. It's about his choice. And God chose inconsistent, messy, bad friends to call his friend. And you want to know why? It's because he knew that God's friendship goes the distance. And all the proof that we ever need is in the cross. Think about it. As Jesus went to the cross, he was perfectly vulnerable as he hung on the cross and took on all of our deepest, darkest secrets, all of our sin upon his shoulders. And he didn't do it with scorn in his eyes. And he didn't waver once. He did it because he actually loves us. Because greater love knows no one than this. And he lay down his life for his friends. God loves inconsistent, bad friends. So far as to actually pick them to be his friends. But I mean, the question still remained, okay, so if God does pick people to be his friends, I mean, like, how many times does he pick them? I mean, like, they chose him as their disciples, but then, like, they completely denied and bailed on Jesus that night. You may be wondering here, like, how many times does God pick us as his friends? Is it like two or three, or does that ever run out? You know, in your life, maybe it was like you were God's friend at one point, you felt. You had that moment at summer camp, or you were in church for a while, but like then college happened and things fell off the rails and you didn't walk with Jesus. Or like your marriage happened or your divorce happened or you, that thing happened with your kids and your family or that thing happened with your career, that new business you started. The thing happened in your bank account. And you're wondering, would God ever pick me again? And if that's you, then, then look up here because again, God has something to teach you today because Peter and his friends failed miserably when it came to following and being friends of God. And the question is, how would God treat them? John, in the 21st chapter, 
he talks about what Jesus did after his friends failed him. Now, if I rose from the dead and all my friends bailed on me, just being honest, I'd probably go find myself some new friends. But I'm so thankful that's not how God treats us. Jesus saw his friends on the lake fishing. He called them over to the shore and he had breakfast prepared for them all around. Now, I imagine the, the, the silence that was in that group was, was kind of awkward. Now, I imagine the disciples were shooting glances at each other saying, Peter, are you going to say anything? You, you kind of bailed them. And Peter was like, oh, you guys were in on it. But Jesus speaks first. And he speaks to Peter. He says, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter says, you know that I love you. Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus spoke up. He says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, well, then tend to my flock. And then the third time, and this was the stinger for, for Peter, because remember, he denied him three times. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's words are so rich. He says, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. God, you know the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know the times I've gotten it right. You know the times I've gotten it wrong. You know the times I said I wouldn't bail on you and the times I did. If you know all that, you must know that I still love you. And don't miss this, because Jesus talks to his disciples, and here's how he handles it with his friends. And when he had spoken this, Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. I mean, there's no rebuke, there's no anger, there's no divine, I told you so. He just serves up this meal of grace and forgiveness and love. Because when God calls you a friend, you are never counted out. Doesn't matter if you deny him three times, he's going to take you back three times. If you run away three times, he's coming after you three times. Jesus would say, you, he chose you as a friend long before you ever failed him. And he will keep choosing you as a friend long after you do it again. Because when God calls you a friend, you are never counted out. Because the friend that we couldn't be to God... God was to us, and he restores us back into the friendship. He restores us as friends of God. And all we simply have to do is say yes. And that's what Peter did, and that's what James did, and that's what John did. That's what all the disciples did, is they just responded yes to Jesus' invitation to say, come on back. If you've ever wondered if God could take you back, and if you could get your life back to following Jesus— a relationship with Jesus, guys, don't overcomplicate it. It starts with saying yes to a God who's picking you. See, Jesus does something amazing with his friends that's available to us as well. He doesn't just restore them back into friendship with one another in God. He restores them for a purpose. He restores them for a mission. Jesus, he restores his friends to live and to love like him. I mean, when our friendship is restored to God, think about this. That unlocks our capacity to be the kind of friends and to have better friendships around us because we are being like God has been to us. You want to know why we can be people of grace? It's because God has shown grace to us. You want to know why we can be people who forgive time and time and time again, even when people don't deserve it? Because God, through Jesus Christ, has forgiven us time and time and time again, even when we didn't deserve it. You want to know why Christians can be people of genuine love in the world? 
Because for God so loved the whole world that he gave his son, his son Jesus, who is now our friend. Look, when we try to do that on our own, we're going to run short. I'm going to run out of mercy. I'm going to run out of patience. I'm going to run out of love. But man, if we be the kind of friends like God has been to us, that's the kind of friend I think our world is craving. Don't you? That's what it means to be a friend of God. I mean, Christians ought to be the best friends that the world has ever seen. But the problem is, is that I think you might agree with me, we don't exactly have that reputation in our culture right now. This is a struggle for us. This is a struggle for me. If we were to go out in the street and just pull some people and say, hey, how are, how are the Christians at Wooddale doing it being friends? We may get some good feedback. We may get some feedback that'd be hard to hear. If we did it on a massive scale, wherever you're watching from online, if you're not part of the Wooddale family, it's not exactly, I think, a strong suit of ours right now. And I thought about why is that? Why can't we just be the kind of friends that Jesus has been to us? And I started thinking about my own struggle. And I thought, it's easy for me to be a good friend to my friends, but where the rubber meets the road in my life is when I have to be a good friend to my enemies, which is actually something Jesus asked his followers to do. We have to love and be friends with our, our enemies. See, I, I put it like this. Good friends, they love their friends. But God's friends, they love their enemies. And a few years ago, Jesus really put me to the test on this, and on this one. And he really showed me some things in my own life. You know, a couple summers ago, I walked into our, our campus in Loring Park in, in downtown. It was early in the morning. And some, some days you just never know what you're going to find. And there was two people fighting outside of the church. They were in a, they were in a brawl and a fist fight. And I went in and I had to break them up. And I realized I recognized them. And one had become kind of one of my enemies on, on the block. And it wasn't because of stuff he was doing to me. Look, you can do a lot to me. I'll have a lot of patience for you. I get it. But he was actually taking some people who wanted to get out of a life on the streets and start following God. He was pulling those people back out of the church and into some sinful stuff. And he had a bad rap sheet with me. And he was beating somebody up outside the church. And I told him to get out of there. And we ministered to the person that he was uh, hurting. And man, I, I had, I had some uh, non-Christian thoughts towards that enemy of mine. And for the next two weeks, I was actually kind of glad. I mean, every time I saw him, he wouldn't make eye contact with me, and he'd, he'd dart around the corner, and I was thinking, man, I got this guy right where I wanted him. He's not going to do any more damage. God, you can have him because he's one of your enemies. I don't want to deal with him. Until one day, a couple weeks later, I was at the church, and I was leaving for the day, about to drive back to our, our home, and I realized this guy is sitting in his car right outside the theater. And I said, God, I'm not going to talk to him. And God, I just felt him impress on my spirit. Go talk to him, Trent. I said, he's one of your enemies, God. We have him in a place where he's not hurting your church anymore. He said, go talk to him. So I said, okay. So I went over and knocked on his uh, window and he opened the door and he said, hey, pastor, I've been avoiding you all week and I know I did some stuff that was wrong and I'm sorry. I don't really know why I did it, but I need to apologize to you. I gotta apologize to your church. I gotta apologize to God. You think God would ever let me back in and do you think I could ever follow him? And as soon as I picked up my jaw off of the sidewalk, I began to share with him, I began to minister to him, began to pray with each other about what it looks like to follow God. 
that God wasn't happy about the things that he was doing, that didn't mean that God hated who he was. As I drove home that night, guys, it just hit me. God wants to befriend my enemies. See, because when he was sharing what was going on in his life and his story, I realized that really sounds a lot like my story too. Because I was an enemy of God who needed the grace and forgiveness of Jesus to be saved. And now I'm called a friend of God. And if God could do it for me, why couldn't God do it for anybody else? But see, we often don't think about our enemies that way. We think because we're good with God and God's become our friend and we're a friend of God, anybody who gets on our bad side then is on God's bad side and God's against them and God's their enemy. And Jesus would say, that's not how it works with me. You were all enemies that I befriended and I wanna send you back into the world to make more friends of Jesus Christ. In Romans 5.10, and then we're wrapping up, but hold on, I want you to see this. Romans 5.10 says this. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. God restored our friendship while we were all enemies. I was an enemy. You were an enemy. Apostle Paul, who wrote these words, he was an enemy. He was Saul, the Christian killer, the Christian persecutor before he met Jesus and was radically transformed in his life to be Saul, the church planter. Paul, the disciple maker. Paul, the Jesus follower. Because when we're friends with Jesus, he transforms our lives unlike anything else can in the world. And because he transforms us, he transforms our friendships, transforms the way we live, the way we act, the friends we make, and the way we love others. Because that's what the friendship of God does. Look, Wooddale, I want to be part of a movement that is making more friends of Jesus in our day and age. And I think in a world of unfriendliness, it is our time to step up and to, be a, and, and to be and to live a lifestyle like Jesus has been and lived for us. He wants to be the friend that you could never be to him, to you and through you. He wants to love people radically through you. He wants, to be, he, he wants us to be an instrument of his grace in our world today. And it all starts by being available into saying yes to him the call he has upon our life, and I believe the call he has upon this local church that we call Wooddale. I mean, can you just imagine what your workplace is gonna feel like this week if you just be the friend that Jesus has been to you, to your coworkers around you? Can you imagine what your school is gonna sound like, what your classroom is gonna feel like if you just be the kind of friend that God has been to you? Can you imagine what our communities at all of our campuses would experience if we truly lived on mission and we were the kind of friends that God has been to us. That's a world that I want to be part of reaching. And friends, let's go be Jesus to them. And let's go make more friends of Jesus in our world today. Before I hand it off to your local pastor, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for being the friend for us that we couldn't be back to you. 
And that was the whole point. You have loved us in an extravagant way that even when we fall short, God, you go the distance in our life and then you call us to live on mission with you. So Jesus, even just over these next seven days, would you help us to be the kind of friend to those around us that you have been to us? And might it shape the way that we live and might it transform the world around us because more people are meeting, knowing, and following you. It's in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen.